when we were building one of our first facilities out in Las Vegas, we hit more red tape and big egos and broken promises um, as well as dead ends than I care to remember. In fact, I think I probably still need a little bit of counseling from that time, but that's a whole up conversation for a different day. But our general contractor at the time was a believer, and he encouraged me to reach out and to talk with uh, his pastor. And his pastor happened to have been a part of the same church for 25 years. They had gone through five or six major building campaigns, and he just felt like it would be a good opportunity to reach out, talk to another pastor who had done construction in the city, and just kind of share what that process was like. So myself and this other pastor, we got together, we had some coffee, we sat down, started talking about church and about ministry and about construction, and all I can say is it was good. We, We shared some construction war stories, and all I can say is when you have somebody else who knows exactly what it's like to sit in that position and to face those obstacles. You might call it misery-loving company. I'm okay with that. I just know I walked away more encouraged. And it was in the process of the conversation that he asked me, what is your church's approach? What's your strategy for making disciples? And I love it when somebody asks me about making disciples. And I said, we train believers to pursue Jesus by loving God, uniting with believers, serving the world, and entrusting the gospel. That's what we do. And he said, man, that's interesting. He said, we have a very similar approach at the church that I'm a part of. He said, we encourage believers that everybody is on a journey with God. They're on a path with God. And we encourage them to pursue Jesus. And as they do, we encourage them to be a part of worship and discipleship and community and service as well as outreach. In fact, if you were to lay their approach and our approach kind of side by side, there's a lot of similarity and overlap in between the two. But then he shared something that was worth its weight in gold to me. And as soon as he shared it, I recognized my reason for being in that meeting had nothing to do with construction. It had everything to do with discipleship. Here's what he shared. He said, Paul, after 25 years of us working our strategy, we stopped to evaluate our results. Let's just pause there for a moment. We need to stop and evaluate our results. He said, Paul, parts were really encouraging, and there were other parts that were not encouraging. He said, what we found is that People along the way, they loved the first four steps of our process. They loved worship services. They loved discipleship classes. They loved being a part of biblical community. They loved serving each other within the local church. But then he said, Paul, here's what we found. They get so comfortable in the Christian bubble that it's hard to ever get them to engage the world with the gospel. And then he said this, and when he said it, It was one of the most profound thoughts I'd ever heard. He said, Paul, if you are not incredibly clear with people, they will see discipleship as a linear progression. On one side is loving God, and on the other side is entrusting the gospel. And he said, here's what they will think in their mind. I first need to spend all of my time loving God and really doing that well. And then I'm going to spend some time uniting together with other believers and really get to build that friendship. 
And then I'm going to find a place of service, and I want to grow in my service and maybe try out a few other places of service. And then somewhere down the road, if I get to it, I'll start entrusting the gospel to others. He said, Paul, here's the problem. If they don't start entrusting the gospel today, they probably never will. I feel like I got 25 years of education in five minutes. That concept is one that stood out in my mind. So here's how that connects with Sherwood this morning. Today we start a new message series entitled Engage, that we may make him known. This is a focus on how we as a church can effectively and collectively be about the mission of God, about making disciples, about engaging the world. I cannot overemphasize the importance of these first two message series. We just finished up one this last week called Relationship. It was a five-week series. And in that focus, it was that I may know him. It was on an individual level. The goal was to help people take the next step in their walk with God. And for some people, that next step was to enter relationship with God. For other people, that next step was to grow closer, to have a more intimate walk with God, to focus on that relationship above anything and everything else. So the focus was to draw close to him. It was a series focused on the individual believer and their vertical relationship with God. It was working through the essence of the great commandment that we might love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. That's what the focus of that first series was about. Well, today we start Engage, that we may make him known. The goal of this series is to unite the church together around the mission of God. Every believer needs to be growing in their individual walk with God. Amen. But listen to this. That relationship was never intended to stay with you. Never. We are called to share that relationship. We are called to entrust that relationship to others. So this is a series that is now focused on the horizontal relationships. That is our relationship with the church and our relationship with the world. If you'll remember, maybe five weeks ago, I said the Christian life flows out of three key relationships. Relationship with God, vertical. Relationship with the church, horizontal. Relationship with the world, also horizontal. That's where the Christian life flows out of. So in this, we're now working through the essence of the Great Commission. How do we make disciples of the nations? Making Christ known. Engaging the mission of God, entrusting the gospel to others, it is not a program in the church. It is the mission of the church. Regardless of the denomination, regardless of the size of the church, regardless of the age of those who are part of that church, it is the mission of every New Testament church is that we are to be about making disciples. So if you were to strip the church down to its essence... That is, if you were to do away with the buildings and the budgets and the worship services and, and get rid of all of the program, if you were to strip it down to its essence, if you were to ask the question, why do we encourage people to give? If you were to ask the question, why do we encourage people to read their Bible, to pray, to love their neighbor? If we were to ask the question, why do we take mission trips and why do we plant churches? On the other side, the answer needs to be, it is about making disciples who know Christ intimately and make him known to others. 
That is the why behind the what. That's why this series is so absolutely important. It is about knowing Christ and making him known. Knowing Christ and making him known. Now here's the hard piece for this morning. If people know the name of Sherwood more than they know the name of Jesus, we failed. If more people gather in this room and less people take the gospel to their neighbors, we failed. It's not about how many people can be packed into a room. Ultimately, on the other side, the question that we have to ask, the question we have to evaluate against is are we knowing Christ? Are we pursuing him with every fiber of our being? And are we making him known every opportunity that God provides around us? For us to accomplish the mission that God gave his church, it's going to require alignment. We need to not only know what are the hills worth dying on, we need to know what are the hills that are just houses for moles. We need to figure out what are the pieces we got to stick with. What are the pieces, when you, when you get into a room of this size and people coming from different backgrounds and different denominational preferences, when they come from different number of years of walking with Jesus, we have different ideas. So what are the essential pieces that we need to be aligned on if we are to move forward collectively and effectively with the mission of God. This is a series about aligning with God's mission. So today I've got two passages that we're going to be working our way through. The first is going to be out of Mark chapter 16, verse 15. The second is Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20. Now, both of these are unbelievably familiar passages. They address what is referred to as the Great Commission. The word commission, it means directive or instruction or charge. The word great, it means great. <laughs> Sometimes it's exactly what it means. Let's not complicate the matter. All right? So we're going to read each of these texts, and we're going to pray. I'm going to ask God to lead us into truth and that he would set our hearts ablaze with the mission of God. Let's start with Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Stop there for a moment. Why? Do we baptize people? It is a part of the journey of testifying to the world that Jesus has made a change in my life. It is about identification with him. Every time you see the waters of baptism being stirred, it should get your heart excited. I am so grateful for the fact that when people are baptized here, everybody's clapping afterwards. It's a celebration. It needs to remain a celebration. Here's what it says, next verse. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we get into this text, God, we need your spirit to guide us into truth. Lord, we're addressing a text that is familiar to so many, and because of that, 
our mind often will shut down what the next part of information is going to be because we think we've been there, we've seen that, we know that. God, unlock the text in a brand new way. Lord, stop us in our tracks. Make us passionate about making disciples. God, will thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have four observations from the text, and none of these observations are long, but every single one of them is extremely important. Here's the first of those. The gospel is the essence of Christ's teachings. That is, in Mark chapter 16, I want you to notice that Jesus did not have to say, teach people about my character. Make sure to tell them about faith and about love and about forgiveness and about obedience. Oh, oh, and make sure to teach them that they are to pursue the kingdom of God above all things. Here's the thing. He didn't have to say all of that. All he said is, preach the gospel. If you preach the gospel, you will inevitably cover it all. If you fail to preach the gospel, nothing else matters on the other side. It is the essence of his teachings are found in this gospel. Here's the second one. The gospel is for everyone. Everyone. It's it's not just good news for the morally corrupt person. It is good news for the straight-laced CEOs and the stay-at-home moms. It is good news for middle schoolers. It is good news for factory workers. It's, it's good news for rich and poor, black and white, young and old, good and bad. It doesn't matter. He says, preach the gospel to all creation. Preach the gospel to every creature. It is for everyone. Number three, the gospel is to be taught for observance, not just information. I want you to notice Jesus did not say, Teach them all that I commanded you. You're like, oh, well, no, that's what he said. No, look at the middle phrase. Teach them to observe all that I commanded you. The word observe, it means to act upon or to keep strictly. Disciples are not those who simply know the truths about Christ. Disciples are those who live the truths about Christ. They act out what they believe. They act upon those convictions of faith. And here's number four. The gospel should not stop with you. I occasionally find myself on the receiving end of one of those ridiculous chain emails. And you might know the kind I'm talking about. It's the kind that says something like this. You have received this email as an unbroken chain of good fortune. If you will forward it to seven people, then you will give them good luck and three angels will smile. And if you fail to forward it to seven people, a puppy dies and you have robbed your friends of happiness. When I receive an email like that, my inbox is where they come to die. I consider it to be a good friend not to forward that mess on to somebody else. Here's the thing. Some messages should stop with you. The gospel is not one of them. The gospel is a message that should never end with us. We have the privilege, we have the responsibility to share the gospel with others. That is what entrusting the gospel is all about. When you entrust the gospel to someone, you give them responsibility for that gospel message by teaching them to observe all that Christ commanded. You're giving them responsibility for the message of Christ. 
Now, that is the concept that I want to spend the rest of our time pulling out in this text. Engaging the mission of God is going to require that we first know what the mission is. The second part of that is that we know how God wants us to participate in that mission. So the mission is to make disciples of the nations who know Christ and who make him known. Every Christian is called to be a disciple. Every Christian and every church is called to make disciples. So now we have two critical questions that we need to work through. Number one, what is a disciple? And number two, how do you make disciples? Now, instead of us coming up with our own definition and just hoping it's the right one, instead of us kind of coming up with our own process and just praying it works out on the other side, I want us to go back and see how were disciples made in the first century And what did Jesus do specifically with the 12? I want us to learn from the master himself. So here's just a basic idea of this. That is throughout the Gospels, Jesus is called rabbi 29 times. The the noun teacher and the verb teach are used 90 times in connection with Jesus. That is a disciple is somebody who's going to follow their rabbi. So all throughout scripture you find that Jesus is the rabbi, he is the teacher. In connection to discipleship, we are his disciples, we are his followers, we are pursuing our rabbi. So when a rabbi would call a disciple to come and to follow, it required a radical death to self. Do you remember the first thing that Jesus says to those who want to follow him? If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. And follow me. There is a radical death to self. Disciples would be those who they would often leave their family and their friends and their occupations and their hometown. They would leave everything that they knew in order to pursue their rabbi. They had one goal. Here's their goal. They wanted to be like their rabbi. They did not just want to know what their rabbi knew. They wanted to be like their rabbi. They wanted to become who he was. So all through Scripture, you find there's two parts. It's not just understanding, it's also application. For that to happen, they would follow their rabbi everywhere. They would listen to him. They would watch him. They would imitate him so that, listen, they could be like him and so that they could pass on his teachings to others. Now, a rabbi's teachings were referred to as his yoke. If you remember, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, my yoke is is easy. That is, my teachings are easy. My way is easy, and my burden is light. Now, I want you to take all that I just shared, and let's connect the dots back into what we just read in Matthew 28. Jesus is the rabbi, and he is talking to his disciples. And before he ascends back to the Father, here's what he says. You go make disciples teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. In other words, share with others what I have shared with you. Teach others to follow me in the same way I have taught you to follow me. That's how discipleship works. Now, throughout the New Testament, this transference of the gospel message, of discipleship, of the essence of the faith, that transference there is used in the word entrust. So you might want to just kind of write these references off to the side in your notes. That is, we entrust the the yoke of Christ, the gospel message in these ways. One of those is found over in Jude verse 3. It says, dear friends, 
although I am very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all, here it is, entrusted to the saints. The faith has been entrusted. We've been given responsibility. And he's saying, not only do you have responsibility for it, I want you to earnestly contend for it. I want you to stand up for what you've been shared. The next one comes when the Apostle Paul was speaking to believers in Rome. He says over in chapter 6, verse 17, But thanks be to God, though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. Did you know the only teaching that can take somebody from being a slave of sin to wholeheartedly obeying God is the gospel message? He says, you've been entrusted with this message. Galatians chapter 2, verse 7, Paul said, I have been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter has been to the Jews. That is, both were entrusted with the gospel, and both were given a task to take that message to two very specific groups of people. Then to those in Thessalonica, the apostle Paul said, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. 1 Thessalonians 2, 4. He told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. He said, the things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who are able to teach others also. Now, the reason I took all the time to go through each of those passages is every single one is saying the same thing. You are to entrust what you have heard to somebody else. The message is not to end with you. This is a part of being on mission with God. The same gospel that transformed your life is the same gospel that's going to transform your neighbor's life. It's going to be the same gospel that will transfer, transform your co-worker's life. You are to share with them what Christ has shared with you. Over and over, it is the idea of one believer entrusting the message to someone else. That's how the cycle repeats. That's how the kingdom expands. In fact, think about this. Had there not been someone who faithfully entrusted the gospel to us, we would not be in this room today. Praise God that somebody who came before us was willing to risk a little bit, was willing to have an uncomfortable conversation, was willing to maybe share some truth that might not be convenient in the moment, but it was necessary in our lives. In fact, I don't know of a single follower of Jesus Christ who's ever been in a place where they've said, I wish no one would have shared the gospel with me. But I can pinpoint a lot of people along the way who say, I wish somebody would have shared it with me earlier. When you go back and you're like, man, what, what happened in my life? What were the pieces that could have been avoided? When I, oh, when I see teenagers who are passionately pursuing God. Do you know how excited that gets me? Because I'm thinking, when I was that age, although I was in church, I didn't know Jesus the way some of these teenagers know Jesus. And when I see where they're at, I'm like, praise God that they get a chance to one day step into college or one day step into a career or one day step into marriage and a family. And they know what I had to learn when I was 27, 28, 30 years old down the road. I praise God that somebody entrusted the gospel early. Here's the thing. 
it has to keep moving forward from us. We, we have to be about that mission. So every disciple has had somebody entrust the gospel to them. Now, if you've not already seen this so far, I'm going to just go ahead and, you know, give you a little spoiler alert. You're going to hear the words gospel, relationship, knowing Christ, and making him known virtually every single message I ever preach. Somebody's like, Paul, does your message change? Nope, only got one message. We just repackage it and we keep sharing it from a different angle. Here's the message. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I was determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. If that is preached, you'll cover everything else. But that's the essence of what we're about. So for years, God has given me the privilege, the blessing of being able to teach discipleship in the gospel to over 4,000 pastors in 30 different countries around the world. And when I sit down with pastors, I'm always inquisitive. I'm always wanting to find out, what are you facing? What are your challenges? What are your greatest needs? And I'll ask the question, what's your greatest need as a pastor? I often think that somebody's going to say, money. We need a bigger building. We need more programs. Did you know I have not heard that yet? Here's the same thing that keeps being shared with me over and over again. They'll say, we need resources and training to make disciples. All around the world, doesn't matter the denomination, doesn't matter the size of the church, we need resources and training to make disciples. And then they'll follow it up by saying, no one has trained us to make disciples. Oh, please hear me on this. I'm not mad, but I am deeply concerned. How can it be that 2,000 years ago, Jesus clearly said, here's the mission, make disciples of the nations. How can it be that for 2,000 years we have buildings and budgets and programs and activities and crowds and books and enough denominations to sink a battleship? And we get 2,000 years down the road and leaders around the world serving in the churches are saying, nobody's taught me how to make disciples. How can that be? I'm afraid that somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way, the church, and I, I speak specifically because I'm coming from the church in the West. Somewhere along the way, the church in the West has turned from dying to self so that we might become like Christ to living for self and just hoping Jesus doesn't notice. Where are the Bonhoeffers of our generation who will not only live but boldly declare when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die? Where, where's that crowd? Where are the, the believers right now who in their quiet time in the morning, they're begging God to send them to the hard places to be light where there's darkness? Where are the believers right now that are saying, God, show me who everybody else is overlooking that I might love them well? Where are the churches that are celebrating how many people they send 
instead of taking pride in how many people they seat. Where, where's it at? Our Bible's not changed. The mission has not changed. Now, somebody might say, but Paul, that, that's tough. I, 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 I hear what you're saying, but I don't know if that's all accurate. Here's my thing. Please don't take this the wrong way. My heart is not for you to come in and you get a Bible beat down on a Sunday morning. That is not my heart. My heart is to raise awareness of the word of God. My heart is to share truth in the most effective way I know how so that when you're alone with the Spirit of God and the Spirit begins to prompt you, you're saying to yourself, I'm not alone in that prompting. That is what the believers of old have been doing for 2,000 years. That's what my church is involved in, making disciples who know Christ intimately and make him known to others. I want it to be that when God prompts your heart at 7 o'clock at night to go to the mission field, your first thought is not, will somebody support me in this, but your first thought is, praise God, I got a church behind me there. That's my prayer. But for that to happen, we got to be on the same page. We have to know what the mission is. We have to know how to be involved in the mission. If we evaluate success by fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, I'm afraid that the church seems busier than it has ever been while accomplishing less than it ever has. I'm not mad. I'm just concerned. Now, Jesus said, go and make disciples of the nations. That's a big job. So where do you start? Well, based on the pattern of the New Testament, we start at home and we work out from there. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 gives us a fantastic overview. That is, they were taught that they were to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, into the uttermost parts of the earth. Those are expanding circles of influence. Jerusalem was the city. Judea and Samaria are the region, and the ends of the earth are the nations. You'll see that same pattern at play when Lydia came to faith in Christ, when the Philippian jailer came to faith in Christ. You see that same one with the woman at the well at Sychar when she came to faith in Christ. Same one happened with the man who was living among the tombs, and he came to faith in Christ. The first thing he says is, I want to follow you. And what did Jesus say? No, go back home. It, it, it starts close, and then it moves out from there. That's the pattern. So the next part of that is going to be what's hindering us from fully engaging the Great Commission. I, I don't think the issue is knowledge. If you've been in church for a year as a believer, you've probably heard at least three, maybe three dozen messages on the Great Commission. I don't think anything I'm sharing this morning is brand new information. I don't also think the issue is resources. We tend to have the resources to do what we want to do. So what's the problem? I can just share one. There might be a dozen, but this is just one that kind of comes up and it's got tentacles, arms, and a lot of different issues people face. One of the greatest Deterrence are issues for people engaging the Great Commission is fear. We're afraid. Just give you a few examples of that. We're afraid of what others might think if we share the gospel. Nobody wants to look like a nut. You definitely don't want to look like a religious nut. 
If you're a secular nut, they have great phrases for you. They'll say like, they're just misunderstood. Borderline genius sometimes. There's none of that when you're sharing Jesus with your neighbors. Nobody says, they're borderline genius. No, they're like, you're just a nut. You're a weirdo. Nobody wants to feel like that. I, I sometimes cringe when people ask me what I do for a living. And it's not because I don't love what I do for a living. It's not because I'm embarrassed about being a pastor. Here's the reason I cringe sometimes. Depending on who asked the question, and this happens so much on an airplane, and they can't get away from me. So they ask me the question, and I watch their facial expression change. I watch their body tense up. And then I can watch their eyes darting around looking for an escape hatch somewhere. And I don't know whether or not they think I'm going to wrestle them to the ground and try to, you know, force a conversion on them in the moment. I just know people get nervous. So I understand nobody wants to feel as though they're strange when they share the gospel. I get that. Here's another one. We're afraid of God's ultimate intentions. This is just an observation after being a pastor for a while, and that is Christians tend to walk cautiously with God when it comes to the Great Commission. Let me explain what I mean there. When you hear somebody like me, a pastor on a Sunday morning, get up and say, it starts at home. Share the gospel with your friends and with your family. They're like, oh, that's not too bad. But then your next thought is, I bet it's not going to end there. You know, like this week, it's sharing with my family and friends. And like two weeks from now, I'm supposed to be sharing with my neighbor and like random people at Walmart. And then four months from now, I'm going to wind up as like a missionary in New Guinea, and I'm eating grub worms, and I'm sharing with villagers. And you're going to look back and like, how did I get here? People walk cautiously with God when it comes to the Great Commission. But here's what I can tell you. If you do happen to become a missionary in New Guinea, it'll be the best tasting grub worms you've ever had. He gives a grace that accompanies the calling he's placed on your life. Here's another one. We're afraid of how church will change if we focus, our focus really becomes making disciples. There's some certain things in church life that we really, really like. And we get nervous about how changes of direction might impact some of those. Like, does this mean we're going to have to give up potluck? Does it mean we'll no longer have a cool, wonderful student ministry? Are we going to be able to afford AC in the summertime? We get nervous about what changes will mean to the day-to-day focus of church. It's just my experience. When the focus is on making disciples, church life is more exciting than it's ever been. When you get a chance to see the person you've been praying for get radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then that same person who six months ago was living for the world and chasing after everything that is against the things of God, And then you see them on a Sunday morning and their hands go up because they got set free. All I could say is it'll enhance your worship. You know why it is that sometimes church feels dead? It's because the Great Commission has been abandoned. And what you should be seeing of new believers entering their walk with God, you're missing. 
And when you're not seeing those things, there's something about it that restores and revives you. It reminds you of where Jesus found you. And when you see that, you're like, thank you, God, that you're still transforming lives. Here's the next one. Also, we're going to be afraid sometimes of doing something wrong when sharing the gospel. What if somebody asks a question you don't have the answer for it? What if I mess up the presentation? I mean, if somebody's eternal destination is on the other side, what if I mess up? What if I do it wrong? It is a fear piece that people walk through. And here's another one. We're afraid of the cost of getting to the ends of the earth. If we take it seriously, the Great Commission will cost us something. The gospel is free. Taking it to the ends of the earth is not. It costs us something to make an impact in the community. It costs us something to be about planting churches around the world. It costs us something of time and resources and focus when we're engaged in the mission of God. But if we're not careful, all of our fears will keep us from engaging the mission at all. So for those of you who are willing to engage the mission, I've got three really easy starting points like, this is just like dipping your toe in the water of God's activity. This is, this is easy stuff. But if we all started here, it'll transform things immensely in a matter of weeks. So here's the first of those. Pray for ways to entrust the gospel. It's something simple that you can do right now. Entrusting the gospel is sharing with others what God has shared with you. Ask God to set up divine opportunities in your life. People who are praying for an opportunity to share seem to run into a lot of people who have a desire to know the good news. Here's another one. Entrust the gospel to your kids. Your first and greatest mission field is in your home. A phrase that my mentor would share all the time is the light that shines the furthest shines the brightest at home. If we're not sharing the gospel there, we give up legitimate ground to share elsewhere. Here's the last one. Invite people to church, to your small group, or to some event that brings them in contact with other believers. So let me give an example of this. Maybe you want to watch a ball game this weekend. Fantastic. But if you're inviting four people, make sure at least one of those is somebody that you're not sure of their walk with God. Bring them around other believers. Now, there's another side of that as well. And that is every single one of you, after hearing that, when you get a next invite to come watch a ball game, you're going to be wondering, am I that one? <laughs> like, <laughs> are they not sure? So you're going to be replying like, I'd love to come, and I am a follower of Jesus Christ. <laughs> but here's the thing. When, when people are looking for opportunities to engage God gives ample opportunities to engage. There's, there's so many ways that we can do this. There's, there's ways that you can share Scripture through social media, sharing Scripture through a text, sharing Scripture through a conversation. A ask God, how can I leverage, how can I leverage my social media for the sake of the gospel? Don't be afraid to invite others to join what God has done in your life. So today... As we close out, I'm going to do things just a little bit different. I'm, I'm going to ask you, wherever you're at right now, just bow your heads where you're at for just a moment. 
As the band comes forward, we're going to do things a little bit differently in this time of invitation. I have asked that they would simply sing this last worship song over top of us as a church. I, I don't want your focus to be split between do I need to be singing or do I need to be praying and doing business with God. So as they're coming and they're taking their place, I'm just going to ask you if you would, just as heads are bowed, eyes are closed for just a moment, I've got some questions that I want you to take to God right now in prayer. Here's just some questions. God, how am I engaged in your mission right now? Ask God to clearly show you what that looks like. Ask God where he is burdening your heart to step out in faith. Has he laid a short-term mission trip on your heart? Have you felt this strange tug that you need to be a part of a church plant in a different city? Do you find yourself driving down the road to your house and you see a neighbor and the first thought that comes to mind is you need to invite him to come with you. And you keep saying, when it slows down, I'll do that. Or next week, I'll do that. Where's God been impressing those things in your heart? Where is fear holding you back from the mission of God? That's a personal question. Everybody wrestles with different things, but just ask God to pinpoint that in your life. Who has God strategically and sovereignly placed in your life and he put them in your life so that you could be salt and light to them? You're not in your neighborhood by accident. You've been placed there, salt and light. You didn't get that job when everybody else was looking for it and applying for it. You did not get that job by accident. As a follower of Christ, you're there, a salt and light. You're not in that classroom or on that campus by accident. God has placed you there in order to share with others what he has shared with you. You get an opportunity to entrust the best news the world has ever heard to people who throughout eternity will be grateful that you entrusted it to them. Would you take a moment just ask God, at the very beginning of this new series, God, how do you want me to be a part of your mission? And however God leads you, I'm going to encourage you to respond to him. Our pastors are going to be at the front at the end of each of the aisles. It might be that you just want to come and take one of our pastors by the hand and just say, would you pray with me that God would address fear in my life? It might be that you have somebody specifically that you've been praying for, but you know that there's power in multiple people praying at the same time. Ask one of the pastors to pray with you. It might be that there's something else that God's working into your life. It might be today that you have heard the gospel in the past several weeks and you've said, I want to respond. I want God to change my life. Just share that with one of the pastors 
and they will help you take that next step. So right now, where you're at, I'm just going to ask if you would stand wherever you are. Just stand wherever you are all around the room. And as this last song is being sung over you, just ask that God lead you to what is right in your life. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you would do what only you can, and we will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.